This is episode 465 of the Macworld podcast for July 15th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Zoom and Red Hat. Hello, gentle listeners, and welcome back to the Macworld podcast. Oh, the world has changed once again with great upheavals that we'll talk about. Well, at least the upheavals are in progress. We can get access to them now, at least. Uh, I am a senior contributor to Macworld, Glenn Fleischman, and your host. And with me this week, as always, is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Howdy, Glenn. What's happening? Um, it's another beautiful week here at Macworld. That's good. It's always yeah. beautiful. It's always sunny in San Francisco. <laughs> it never stops being sunny, ever. Uh, I also have with us our special guest, Jason Snell, the proprietor of Six Colors, the host of The Incomparable Network, and uh, you may know him as uh, the columnist at More Colors here at Macworld. Hello, Jason. Hello. You're known for many. You are a man I, of many names. I'm around. I'm around. I, this yeah. isn't my first time on the Macworld podcast. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> this is like that uh, Bill Murray movie. I can't remember the name of. No, I'm just kidding. Every well, day I wake up and back. can't remember. The, I can't remember the name of that it's movie. Caddyshack is what the movie you're thinking of. Caddyshack. Uh, that's about right. Well, Wet Hot American Summer is coming back too, so maybe we can get Caddyshack Boogaloo, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, we are talking this week. Uh, we have Jason on because Jason wrote the Macworld first look at El Capitan Public Beta this last week. Uh, Apple released public betas for the consumption of general consumers of uh, OS 10, 10.11, El Capitan, and iOS 9, and uh, all the chaos that ensues from such things. Jason, On the same day, I was a little surprised. Yeah. They're trying to, they're gambling with fire. They're playing with matches. That's like it. The, both betas are on one page, but I was, I, you know, I was sort of guessing that they'd do one one day and the other the next day. But shows you what I know. <laughs> We've talked about this too. Is like I don't know that I the the amount that they're promoting the notion that average people install public betas, I find it a little disturbing. Um, does that bother you guys? Do you feel like they're overhyping it? It's hard for me to know what is average because I'm so inside the bubble here, um, here in Apple Town, USA. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, normal people probably don't really bother and they're just going to wait a few months until it's out. But, you know, we, we're here for the, the, the crazy, here's to the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah, I think the people who are listening to this podcast are yes. more inclined to do this than your average everyday Mac user. But yeah. this is going, I mean, this Microsoft basically opened Windows 10 to all comers, more or less, for their public beta, too. This is just sort of the way things are done. And I think, I, I think the way they figure it is, if you're going to be seeding a beta version outside of your company to developers, let's say, or other certifiers, you might as well seed it out to everybody and who wants who wants to take it and you'll get more feedback that way and i know apple feels that way that that the great advantage of the public beta and they learned it last year with yosemite and they haven't done it with a full-on ios update before but they did it with some of the incremental updates to ios 8 is they, they feel like they get good data out of it there there are useful reasons that you want to um, even as all the different testing configurations that they've got at Apple and that with their developers, it's never going to be a match for the real world. And the public beta is a closer, you know, it gives them more data that makes it seem a little more like what it's going to be like. They can find more things. And that's why they do it. Yeah. And, you know, out of the, uh, what is it, 
like 800 million iOS owners now. I forget how many devices are out there. It's at a billion now or have been sold. It's a huge number. Like out of the number of working iOS devices, I'm sure it's in the low millions, maybe high hundreds of thousands that people install the beta. It's going to be some percentage. And, and on the, the OS 10 side, I think OS 10 users are both like more burned, but also uh, more interested. So they may install El Capitan just for the heck of it or put it on a, on a different boot drive because you can do that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But I know that past, I mean, I've already been burned a little bit by El Capitan. I installed it on one machine. We'll talk about that later. Not exactly burned, but but now I have things to watch for, updates to look out for, so I can get back some of the features that uh, from third-party apps that I don't have at the moment there. Uh, well, I was curious, did you see anything change uh, between the uh, WWDC announcement and the public beta? Is there anything that, that showed up? We've got a couple of things we're going to talk about, uh, about uh, two-factor authentication, uh, which is more of a system thing. But, um, but did you see anything in the, in the software build itself that uh, you weren't expecting? Uh, that I wasn't expecting? I don't know. I mean, the, the, um, I think less obvious than the fact that the OS gets updated is, of course, all the apps get updated. And I think one of the interesting things is this is the first substantial update to Photos since it debuted, because Photos is tied in with a system, and it, that means that its updates basically come with OS updates. And um, so they did an Apple did an OS update. What was it, ten ten three? I think that that um, enabled Photos for Mac for the first time. And in El Capitan, um, Photos one point one essentially is part of the package. And so the public beta has a build of of Photos for Mac. And I thought having having written a book about it um, I, and, and written extensively on the web about it. I was really interested to see what they've done with photos. And the answer is they seem to have addressed, um, quite happily, addressed the most common complaints about photos for Mac. And so that was not, I mean, I knew theoretically that that was going to happen, but it wasn't something I was focused on about a new version of OS 10. You think of a lot of things before you think of, <laughs> I wonder if photos for Mac is better, but it actually is part of it and it is better. Let me ask. Let me ask you this. So, uh, the most asked question at Mac nine one one right now, or questions, are about photos. I have, I think, like hundred and fifty backlogged questions. I'm not surprised. Photos. Yeah. And uh, and so some of those I've been holding off on some because there's we've talked enough about bugs. I figure things will get fixed. But here's my question: Do you think Apple is going to backport any of the bug fixes to Photos for Yosemite, or is that dead because so many people with Yosemite are going to update to uh, El Capitan. They're wow. like, eh, whatever, you know, just update. That's a real good question. I, I think it's possible that they'll just say, look, you know, you can you can all update to El Capitan. You should. It's um, free. Yeah. It, it's not outside the realm of possibility that if they can just make a 10.10.5 update or something that's a dot, little dot update for the for the for Yosemite that brings people this feature, they, they might do that. But I think... I expect that that you'll need to go to El Capitan to get uh, the updates to photos. I, I I do think that that's most likely. Yeah, it's yeah. I can imagine if there's a crashing bug or something like that's persistent, I, they're going to have to fix it because that's just irritating and they'll still have millions of people doing it. But it's a weird it's a weird place where all of the photos users are updated to ten ten three at least, if not ten ten four. So they're all running hardware that can run El Capitan. They're all some all people who've updated their OS in the last six months. Correct. So it's it's a lot harder to say, well, I've got photos, but I'm really not a, a person who wants to upgrade to El Capitan. It's sort of like you're on the you're on the escalator now. You you you're you just recently updated so to brand new software and then adopted it. So I think Apple is probably not unreasonable to expect that you'll just get the free update to El Capitan this fall and and that'll be how you get your photos update. 
Well, that sounds, that's pretty legitimate. I, I think that's it. I mean, some people don't like to be forced to upgrade, but the features, it's really, it's weird when it's bug fixes. It's like photos 1.0.x yeah. and then 1.1 or 2 or whatever they're going to number it. That's, you know, that's one like... Point, it, it's 1.1 1. 1 in the 1. Uh, 1. in the beta. Yeah, It's so funny. Well, we'll see. Uh, a lot you, of El Capitan is fixing, you know, problems with Yosemite. So mm -hmm. I feel like this is going to be a popular update for, for a lot of people. Yeah, if... if like Jason said, if you went to Yosemite so recently, you're probably going to want to go to El Capitan. Here's one that surprised me. Have either of you launched Disk Utility in El Capitan? No. Uh, no. It's all different. It's so weird. <laughs> it's launch it because you're like, it actually freaked me out. I thought something was wrong. I launched it to look at, uh, I was trying to mount uh, an SD card, I think, with an external reader on a 12-inch MacBook. So I thought something might be wrong. And they now show, you know that display in about this Mac that they uh, Apple changed a while ago where there's a system button in about this Mac. And if mm -hmm. you, uh, I'm sorry, not a system, a storage button. If you click it, it shows you for the boot drive, uh, the division of photos, audio, movie, apps, and other, yep. and then for other drives, shows use. Well, something like that is what you now see when you launch Disk Utility, oh, and cool. it doesn't have restore disk permissions. Is gone. It's gone. Mm. Yes, I, I knew that. They uh, they said that they they don't they don't need to do that. I mean, probably it, repairing permissions has been voodoo for a while now. It, it, it's not what it was in the early days of OS 10 where there right. were often files that got out of out of kilter with the Unix permissions and you couldn't write them or read them and that was bad for the system but now my understanding is that there's a not only is that very rare that it's a problem but it checks them and fixes them automatically and you just don't just don't bother so it's it's a uh, homeopathic disk yeah. utility mode has been removed <laughs> honestly yeah that that repair disk permissions was rapidly becoming just a placebo so they could have left it and like you click it and a smiley face appears and you feel good that but it doesn't great. do anything but yeah it's it's very different the interface is basically like is anything wrong click here okay we fixed it it's much less information the mm. display is a little more uh, whatever it's friendlier uh i don't know that it's less capable but it's a little confusing so Clearly, Macworld will need to do an explainer about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm surprised point. they didn't hide the the old stuff somewhere. You know, like when you open Airport Utility and it wants to just kind of graphically say, like, this router's up, this repeater's down, and and kind of keep it really simple. But then there's you know advanced buttons where you can you can dig in and be like, okay, no, I'm I'm the kind of person who knows what ports to forward, and and I'm, I got it from here. This is like that, except there's no advanced version. But yeah. it, you shouldn't have to mess. I mean, I think the deal is now disk utility used to be kind of a wrapper for command line functions. Yeah, I guess and the terminal is the advanced version. Huh? Yeah, that's what I think. Because a lot of stuff you can use disk utils for um, if you you know if you get to that point. So if you can't fix it with disk utility, they may not have wanted to have as many options available to people, uh, especially with Fusion Drive, which is uh, trickier. I just answered some questions for folks about Fusion. Uh, maybe not totally adequately either because it's not as well documented as it should be. Um, okay, so not much that's changed. So, so Jason, you went through, uh, there were some flagship changes. We talked about photos. Notes was another, Notes and Mail were kind of oh, two yeah. of the big ones. What, what Notes is like a whole different animal now. Yeah, Apple said that, uh, you know, a lot of people who are really into Apple stuff, they they know third-party apps and they're like, oh, well, I've got this app that does my notes on the, on the iPad and I've got this on the Mac and, you know, Evernote or something like that. I sync them all together. The fact is being a pre-installed app is pretty big because it's there, it's there everywhere and people use those apps. A lot of people don't seek out third-party apps and even the people who do, like me, I mean, I use notes for things because it's always there and it syncs and it's fine. 
And so Apple seems to have recognized that lots of people use Notes on iOS and on L- on uh, on Mac. And so uh, iOS 9 and El Capitan both upgrade Notes. Um, it's got, uh, you know, support for more styles and stuff. You can drag, um, when you drag items into it, it's got this kind of container format. So instead of like dragging a link in from Safari and having it show up as a, as a hyperlink, it shows up as a little box with the name of the page and a little preview icon. And, uh, it's just a little friendlier that way. And there's a, there's a checklist feature, which doesn't do anything. I mean, it's not like a lot of these places like you check it and it grays out and it it decreases your total list of to do's by one and it's not like that it's like literally it, what you do when you check it off is it shows a check mark that's all it does it, it's <laughs> but the fact is people were using notes for shopping lists and stuff and to do lists and things like that so why not put that feature in there to make it a little bit easier so all of that is in there and then actually something on the back end that is sort of fascinating um, oh, I should say you can drag in way more items, just items from the Finder, uh, PDFs, images, stuff like that, and they all just kind of drop into Notes. And there's there's even a view of like all your attachments, so you it's can just kind of more like Notes is now mail crossed with pages. You know what Notes? I think Notes is this thing that you it's like a shoebox, and you just chuck everything into it because I think people do. I think people just I need to put this somewhere. Where do I put it? They just throw it in a note, and and Apple's kind of embracing that. But the weirdest thing about Notes, and this goes back as long as Notes has been on OS 10 is the system that Notes uses to sync is not iCloud. Yeah. You know, wasn't iCloud, wasn't MobileMe, wasn't .Mac, it was never any of those things. It was always, you needed to have an email account configured uh, that was an IMAP email account. And then it would use a mailbox in your email account oh called God. notes and oh store your God. notes in there. And if you ever, like me, I'm, I use Gmail and occasionally I'll search for a word that's in a note and I'll get all these notes back. And I'll be like, why am I seeing these? It's like, oh, right. All my notes are stored in my email. It, it was, I, I, it was a hack. Um, and it's, and then Apple has not escaped it until now. So, uh, in El Capitan, you can still, all your old notes accounts are still supported. So the stuff that's an IMAP, but then there's also an iCloud notes. It's based on what you're oh logged in God. with iCloud. It uses iCloud. So, um, I always would run into a scenario where I'd be on a, on a computer or a, or a, an iOS device where I wouldn't want to put in my email stuff. I just, I wasn't going to check mail on this. I just needed to look, you know, at some iCloud stuff. And then I, tr- I bring up notes and I'd be like, oh no, because even though you weren't going to use email, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Your notes don't work unless you have that in. And that's, that's all fixed in El Capitan. Cl- Kludgiest so it, thing. Yeah. But finally, it, oh my gosh. So it's fixed. And in fact, some of these features like the checkboxes and, and some of this stuff, only works on notes that are in iCloud. So they've, they've really, really what's happening here is they're keeping the old stuff around for compatibility reasons, but everybody should move to iCloud for notes and you can actually go to your old list of notes and select them all and just drag them into iCloud and they all copy and you can just abandon the old email-based notes if you want to uh, really easily. And then that gives you all the access to the extra features like the checklists and stuff like that. That's hilarious. That's like the that's just the funkiest thing that they yeah. left. No, I shouldn't. I'm sure, there's funkier things. I can't. Uh, yeah, say but that, they probably but. are. But that was it's just <laughs> it was such a weird and obvious uh, just hack that they did because they needed some way to get those things to transfer. And so they ju- just somebody said, "I know, let's make it a mailbox." And then for years, it's just stayed that way. And every time there was an OS 10 update, and I'm writing the review for MacWorld, I'd be like, "Okay, what's did you finally fix that notes thing?" Nope. And the answer is this year, El Capitan. They finally did. It's uh, they're using it's full on iCloud now and uh, much the better for it. 
Do you think iCloud lets them put in those new features, or do you think the new features are kind of uh, a, to tempt people to to open it up and use it and drag all their notes over to iCloud and get them out of IMAP? My guess is they need to change the notes format from the the way they're storing notes files in IMAP, and they 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 so they would have had to build it twice, and they probably said, "Nah, <laughs> we'll huh. build we'll build a new good version for iCloud, and we'll just sort of maintain old compatibility mode for the other one." Are there people who'd be using El Capitan and not be using iCloud? I mean, even just for basic stuff. No, I mean you get it safe. for free, so yeah. I, I think I think not. Yeah, probably not. It's really hard to do. I mean, it's constantly asking me. It's like, it's very naggy when you start something up or if there's a, a network problem, then it resumes and it's like, enter your iCloud password. Enter it. Enter it. Set yeah. it up now. Okay, that would be right. a fun experiment to like start, set up a new Mac and see how long you could use it. Just you I, know, resisting I went iCloud seven days without iCloud. Like I'm not signing into anything. I had no food at the end of it. <laughs> no one knew who I was. <laughs> Uh, mail has also had, uh, speaking of mail, has had some improvements. And uh, I was curious in practice um, how those played out. I've worked with it a little bit in El Capitan, but I don't use mail app in uh, in, in uh, Yosemite or El Capitan so, uh, yeah. for very much. Uh, d- does it play out as well? Some of the stuff looked uh, pretty good on stage, and some seemed a little obscure, like dragging stuff out down to get it out of the way to kind of dock it at the bottom to drag other things in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are like full screen things. Yeah. If you use it full screen, there's some. Right. Because the full screen metaphor kind of didn't work with mail, right? Because you'd have another window open. And full screen was always sort of like one window mode, not just yeah. full screen, mm-hmm. but one window. And then it's like, so what happens now? And the answer was, you know, really weird things happen. Because <laughs> you're like, you're in, a, you're in the message, but you want to look something up, but you don't want to lose the message. And now you can like dock it at the bottom of the screen. You can kind of minimize it while you do that. And you can even have different. Um, tabs with different outgoing messages, which is really useful when you're in full screen mode. Um, they added swipe, you know, swipes like like um, they added an iOS so you can uh, you can use the trackpad and swipe to trash something or swipe to set something as read or unread. Um, it's fine. I don't know how much people are going to use that. It's it's nice. It's a nice gesture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hello. Uh, but uh, I feel like it could be more useful. Like um, on on iOS, I think it it correctly senses that I'm using Gmail and changes it to an archive command. You can I don't customize think at least... it in iOS. Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether that's in the public beta for for OS 10, but it might be coming. I think the biggest feature in in uh, in mail on El Capitan is is support for uh, slow networks. That um, if you've ever used uh, like um, uh, on a, uh, I, I experienced this on a cruise ship with satellite satellite internet. Anybody out there who has satellite internet will have experienced this. Low speed, low latency co- connections. Um, Apple Mail has been it's just really bad at it. It's like really bad at it. Like you're you've got a trickle of internet and you open Apple Mail and it says, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to take your spam box and sync it." <laughs> it's like, "What what are you doing? Just show me my new mail." Like first priority should be, "Do I have new mail in my inbox? Don't sync all of my old email folders in IMAP. That's a waste of my time." And I feel like and this is uh, I don't want to sound mean, but I feel like the people who wrote mail just sit in Cupertino on Apple's gigantic internet pipe and think it's great. And they don't experience what it's like on slow connections, so they never made any effort to make it work on slow connections. And here's here's my theory. (laughs) Those people also fly on airlines uh, from the Bay Area, let's say Virgin America, and they get wireless on the airplane, and the, the airplane Wi-Fi is really slow. And they open their mail and they go, oh, my God, 
mail mail.app is terrible at slow <laughs> internet connections <laughs> and guess what they fixed it in el capitan they supposedly it is dramatically better at slow connections it prioritizes the messages that you're looking at and downloads those it prioritizes your inbox it prioritizes new messages in your inbox and so theoretically even on a slow connection if you open mail and you're looking at your inbox the messages will show up there immediately and you'll be able to read them immediately and not have that thing where you're waiting a couple of minutes to see if you have any new yes. mail and what the text of the mail is and if you do the little command zero thing to see what it's doing discover that it's got 50 imap threads open <laughs> and it's trying to sync all your other messages you know it, it was it was really bad and like perfectly fine if you're on a fast connection terrible if you're on a slow connection so anybody who's got a slow connection or is frustrated by using mail on a plane or some other kind of sl- slow connection from time to time they will be very happy because that that's a big that's a big deal and that was really like a matter of getting the attention of somebody at apple and saying hello do you know this and finally somebody seems to have said oh yeah that's really bad and that's my theory is i think it's the airplane problem where airplane wi-fi is so bad that it was really making the apple mail look bad imap is the devil but there's nothing better that's as as <laughs> yeah. with so many technologies we deal with <laughs> yeah, and, well, that's the classic line about democracy, right? It's a ter- it's a terrible system, but the best yet devised. Oh, well, <laughs> I want to take a break and talk about a great system. There's a segue uh, to thank one of our sponsors this week, Red Hat, because they make some great software. Uh, so, you know, it's not news that open source software is now widely accepted in enterprise computing. It's used all over. Uh, the extent of op- adoption is probably broader than you think because um, most of the open source running in elite data, data centers is Red Hat. Uh, it's more than just Red Hat Enterprise Linux, however. Red Hat offers storage solutions, cloud computing, and everything you need for application development. It's all open source and it's all enterprise grade. Red Hat is now running in every executive department of the U.S. federal government, every airline, telecom giant, and healthcare company, and the Fortune Global 500 runs it. The New York Stock Exchange and every commercial bank in the Fortune 500. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 use Red Hat for everything from the critical to the routine. And the only thing that's really surprising is how many people, people who know a lot about technology, don't know this. It's almost like Red Hat snuck in, got comfortable and quietly transform the technology business without making a fuss. Sometimes the most disruptive technology is the stuff that no one notices at first, but you can find out more about how Red Hat is quietly redefining enterprise technology by visiting redhat.com. Red Hat, build on it, run with it, count on it. And thank you, Red Hat, for being one of our sponsors of this week's Macworld podcast. So we're talking about mail in El Capitan. Um, Spotlight seems to have, oh, a spot of better utility. Um, I really, I did love, and I may have already mentioned this in a previous podcast, when Craig Federici is like, look, you can resize it and move it around. That's innovation. Everyone laughed because Spotlight, the Yosemite implementation seemed sketchy. Now it seems uh, both the interface is better, but it can do a lot more finally. Yeah, this is where Siri and Spotlight are kind of coming together. Um, and people always have, have been saying, oh, well, is Apple going to do its own search engine or something like that? And the answer is no in the way that you think of a search engine. But this is what's happening behind the scenes is Apple is trying to wire up a whole bunch of different data sources. And this is how Siri, you can ask Siri, you know, how did the Giants do last night? And it'll, uh, Siri will give you a baseball score. So it's adding a bunch of those um, a bunch of those things to um 
spotlight on the Mac with El Capitan. So, you know, baseball information, other sports information, transit, uh, web video search, weather, stocks, weather all of that stuff stocks. is now... Yeah, oh yeah, things. everybody loves weathers and stocks, <laughs> stockses. Uh, so yeah, so you're going to be able to do uh, search more stuff. And I think this is just an ongoing thing where Apple is going to keep on aggregating data sources and uh, and there'll be more sources and more sources and more sources. They'll be in Siri, they'll be in Spotlight. And then Spotlight is also adding natural language search. So instead of doing like special keywords, you can actually type, a lot of people do this with Google too. They, they'll type, you know, what's the weather in San Diego and not weather, you know, current weather San Diego or something like that. And it will it will give you the answer. And even down to your file system, this isn't just for the new stuff. You'll be able to say, um, you know, PDFs from last week. And it should be able to show you all the PDFs that were changed or created last week. It, it, Google's been moving this direction too, you know, in terms of uh, not not what's on your filing uh, or your operating system, although it, it can uh, in some cases. Uh, but the, it, this um, providing answers. So when you mm-hmm. somebody posted a screen capture the other day that was like, do you remember when Google was a search engine and they'd entered some term and like ninety percent of the above the fold part of the screen was you know Google an entry from Wikipedia, things other people searched on, movie times, advertising, but. It was also, at the same time, it was useful. I mean, I can mm-hmm. you type in a calculation. You can ask for a baseball score. You can say, I want to see a movie this week and whatever. And Google now just throws generally useful information at you, even though some of it's Google properties or things they make a get a slice out of, uh, instead of just giving you ordered search results. And I feel like Apple has taken kind of the best of that. And since it doesn't do search per se, um, they're just putting that on the desktop. So you don't even have to go to Google then for the kinds of things that you're typically now asking Google. Yeah. If you ask Google, like, you know, how old um, Michael Jordan is, instead of sending you to a website that has that information, it'll just figure it out and tell you. So I'm surprised that it didn't that Spotlight doesn't actually have Siri in it with the natural language. It seems yeah. like kind of a fit. It is weird that that the App, Apple's not willing to call what's happening on the Mac Siri at this point. Um, and maybe they just don't feel like it's as important since it's easy to type things into the Mac and. And so they're, they're, uh, it, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, what, the other thing that's happening here is that Apple is intercepting, you know, Google intercepts your searches in Google search, but Apple will intercept it in your, in your search box in Safari as well as in Spotlight. <laughs> and, you know, I see that all the time now where I'm typing in a term because I want to go to the Wikipedia page. And it used to be that I would type it in, in, uh, and do a Google search and then click on the Wikipedia link. But now I type that term in and Apple in Safari has already said, oh, here's the Wikipedia page for that. And that's bypassing Google. And, you know, Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo are in the background if you need to do a search. But this is totally part of Apple's strategy to not have you have to get, like search is the last resor- last resort. You shouldn't have to get there. They should be able to find what you need and just give it to you um, wherever you are on your Mac or on your iOS device. Right. One, one could argue that the Amazon Echo is like the ultimate uh, realization of that. Like in your house, you're like idly musing, I wonder what's on TV. I wonder how much would it cost to go to the movies? Like, oh, I have an answer for that. You don't even have to hit a button or use your, you know, type something in. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it's the same thing as, as saying, uh, you know, using triggering the, 
um, the ahoy, uh, <laughs> ahoy telephone <laughs> catchphrases for either uh, either iOS or Google, right? That that um, and you can ask those questions too. And then Amazon sort of like extruded that entire thing into a little speaker that lives in your house and <laughs> listens to you, yeah. and like you the, don't even need a phone. That's right. They've it's something came out of a mall at Amazon. We have a new device. It will listen yeah. to you. Like yeah. I would probably feel more self conscious talking to my computer than I do talking to my phone or my watch. But I used to feel weird talking to my phone or my watch and yeah now there's appliances that you can just talk to so maybe i'll be able to get over that really quickly if apple oh. ever decides to roll out siri on a mac we thought we thought a couple weeks ago I'm, I'm remembering now that glenn and i already wondered about this and we thought um that maybe with the iphones like the microphones are so much better and they sort of know that it's going to be within arm's length of your person um but your mac might be it might not be it might be on a table. It yeah, might not, quality you know. could be too low for mm. good voice recognition. Uh, it was funny. I was reading a, 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 a unnamed columnist the other day who was talking about uh, uh, Amazon Echo. And I, it made me feel like reading their column that they actually hadn't used Siri or Cortana or Google Now or any of the modern things because they were so surprised at how <laughs> well it did voice recognition. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, I mean, and Echo apparently does a very good job. But I think it's tough on a computer when it's not designed to optimize to be able to do that. I think that's going to be a, a challenge. Uh, and speaking of noise, Safari. So we all love Safari now because... And I've already messed around with that because you can mute tabs that are making sound. You know which one is making sound and you can Game click changer. on it. That's oh going to be huge for me. Yeah. It uh, will make some more happier Macworld users. Yes. Uh, from my experience and the feedback I get, I will be oh, yeah. sending people uh-huh. – uh, They'll be very happy to be able to do that. I did, in my first look of of this, I did make a point to go to one of my other favorite sites with autoplaying video, ESPN, Mm -hmm. to take take my screenshot because I I didn't want to, you know... I didn't want to do that with the Macworld podcast or the Macworld website. I was like, yes. let's use a different example. And then, and then in the caption, it, there's a funny aside that I didn't write to, uh, to the, the fact that Macworld also does all yeah, that was me. Videos. But <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So it's a, you know teamwork is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, it was uh, yeah. This is this is just one of those features that that uh, you know it's the worst when you can't even find it and you don't even know that it's playing oh, oh. you know if you ever go to a list of links and you're like I want to read that story and that story and that story and then you start reading and then there's sound and you just don't even know where it's coming from um, and with one click it will silence all of the uh, all of the other tabs mm-hmm. which is beautiful it's weird this wasn't in Chrome and it's not in Firefox is it? it seems like the most obvious feature once you see it but I would think I don't believe it's available as a native feature yeah, there are extensions that do it, but right. I'm not sure whether it's whether it's in the in the core. They're or supposed not, to but... have the little icon that says that this is the tab that's playing, and I feel like mm-hmm. I saw it in Chrome, but it's, oh. and I see it in Safari, but it's not consistent. And if you have too many tabs open, it can get kind of lost. Right. I'm using Safari in uh, Yosemite right now, and I have maybe 20 tabs open, but you can't even see them all at the same time. So yeah, that pin tabs feature and the um, shutting up the autoplay are are the things that I'm most excited about in Safari. You know, I used to not open a lot of tabs, and suddenly I find my 
myself being an incessant tabber again. I can't yeah. figure out why. I'll be working on something because the browser doesn't crash. I use Firefox principally, although I use Safari as well. And uh, it used to be Firefox crashed all the time. If I had, you know, 10 tabs open, it would crash. It wouldn't always recover them. I think I have like 50 tabs open because it's not burning. Firefox and Safari don't burn RAM um, the way they used to. <laughs> With uh, Chrome still does, but they don't. And it also doesn't crash. So I'm actually much more likely to use the pinning feature or just to keep things open um, than I have been in years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to have like three or four of the same tabs open all day. And it just, it takes up, it's taking up like half of my, of space. half of my tab bar right now. So that's nice. So, well, those, mm -hmm. that's, is that the, uh, it's kind of the overview. Is there anything else that you found that you're, uh, either of you folks, that you're like, this is a nice little change? I mean, I know a lot of El Capitan, the whole point is that we're not going to see most of the changes. And that's also good. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is this, uh, you know, metal, which is a snooze. And it can really put people to sleep, and they put it in iOS last year, and they're putting it in El Capitan. Uh, because you don't see it, you can kind of not care about it. And you're not a developer, then you really don't care about it. I think the most important thing for users is this is this new graphics technology. It's replacing OpenGL and, and stuff like that uh, with this new thing that Apple's built that's close to the metal. That's why it's called that. So it's like taking advantage of the fact that OpenGL and things like that, drawing, 3D drawing stuff, was written for the graphics card technology of what 15 years ago 20 years ago maybe oh even God. maybe yeah. even longer ago and and graphics cards have come so far it's actually one of the things that that has improved in terms of processing power and ability i i would say probably the fastest improvement of any component of a computer in the last 10 years has been the graphics stuff. It's just been mind-blowing to the point where they started adding things like OpenCL and saying, this thing is so powerful, I want to use it for processing, not just video, right? So... Um, what Metal does is Metal is something that Apple built that's based on sort of how graphics processors do their job now. And there is a lot less overhead than there is for something like OpenGL where the, it all has to get translated sort of like you know, this is the language, the language you speak is old, but the hardware we use is new. So yeah. this is a new, new language with, with the new hardware. It's a better match. That's the idea of metal. And again, this can be really boring, theoretical, <laughs> computery stuff. And it could be dangerous, like boring, dangerous Apple throwing something out there and hoping somebody adopts it. The, the, what makes it exciting is that the key graphics technologies underlying OS X, core animation and core graphics, use metal in El Capitan. So Apple is using this themselves, which means it has to work right. They have to do what's called in the tech business dog fooding. They have to use their own technology, which means if it stinks, um, everybody at Apple will know because Apple relies on it themselves. As a result, it's not going to stink for other people to use it. And it also means that a lot of software that has not specifically been written to take advantage of metal, but just uses things like core animation and core graphics will get a speed boost because all of it gets a speed boost because everything that is underlying core graphics and core animation is now using metal. So that's when Apple says, oh, so much stuff is faster and more efficient. This is one of the big reasons why that's true in El Capitan is that they've kind of chucked away that old stuff and replaced it with this new thing uh, that, that is coincidentally the thing that's in iOS, which should actually be great in terms of things like gaming, because if you can support metal on iOS, at that point, you might as well release that game on the Mac too, because you're already there. 
That's it's exciting because uh, it's uh, you don't have to if, when you don't have to do something as a user or as a developer, and suddenly things are faster. It's like, hey, I got a speedier computer, and I didn't have to pay for it. And uh, Apple gets the benefit of people being happy about them that way. Um, I agree with you about the GPU thing. It's uh, all the stories I'm writing now about uh, the really anything to computation. Uh, working on a security story about uh, about um, uh, cracking uh, the SHA one hashing encryption. Uh, or a hashing algorithm and uh, working on a story about robotics. And it's like GPUs apply everywhere now because they are so dramatically faster at very uh, domain-specific tasks. And uh, and we get the benefit from that because it makes everything seem zippier. Uh, we're not sitting there waiting for stuff to draw, which is very nice. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, two-factor authentication, but let's take a quick moment to thank our other sponsor this week, and then we'll come back, talk about exciting topics, two-factor authentication. We'll, be back. we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's thank uh, <laughs> Zoom for being our other sponsor this week. So according to 100% of Zoom's marketing team, Zoom is the number one video conferencing service of all time, period. Now, of course, they wrote that, but let me tell you, I don't use video conferencing regularly because I am a solo performer here as a freelance writer, uh, but everybody I talk to in companies is using it constantly. A lot of companies, uh, whether they're an editorial organization or a, a firm that makes products and goods of other kinds, uh, they have spread out offices now. You've got people in different countries or all around the country in which they do business, and uh, it's, a, it's a hassle, a lot of the solutions that are out there. And Zoom is trying to make everything easier by combining video, screen sharing, and group messaging into one platform that just works across all the devices you already have, Mac, PC, iOS, Android, and stuff that's already in your conference room. So typical complaints about video conferencing are include things like you can't join the meeting, the video is laggy or choppy, the, the interface is buggy, or the audio sounds terrible. Now, Zoom leaves all of that behind because they have an easy-to-use service that's backed by industry-leading functionality built for startups, universities, and enterprises alike. It's got a fast and simple interface, supports HD video, works with desktop and mobile screen sharing, and offers cross-platform messaging. Now, mobile screen sharing is a particularly useful feature for mobile game and app developers because it's easy with their system to share the screen of any iOS device in a Zoom meeting. That You can do that in a lot of different ways. This is nice to have it integrated in into your existing meeting room software. So you can sign up for your free Zoom account today at zoom.us, that's Z-O-O-M.us slash Macworld and start hosting better video meetings immediately. There are no strings attached, no trials. This is really a free account. So give it a try at zoom.us slash Macworld. And thank you to Zoom for being our other sponsor this week. Well, now on to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and obviously super exciting, two-factor authentication, woo! Oh, I'm not hearing any cheering. What's going on? <laughs> factor, factor. Oh, yeah. That's uh, two factors. It's oh. two factors. Oh, that was good. That's a nice little joke. Uh, well, so this is uh, this is a little bit of a hidden thing, but you know, uh, because I I don't know of any idea how many people have enabled what's currently called two-step authentication or two-step uh, uh, verification is what Apple has been calling it up to now, and. Uh, it was added because of um, iCloud's methods of preventing um, people's simple passwords from being extracted and used, um, whether it was through social engineering or maybe some other flaws, was very thin. So Tim Cook was like, oh, we're going to do better, we're going to do better. And they start 
rolling out this system that allows the use of a uh, message code, an ID that's unique and sent to a device or phone number of your control that uh, lets you, after you enter the password, you have to confirm it with this code to show that you have a device or the phone number in your control. And I, I have had criticism when I've written about this in the past. Some people make a distinction between two-step and two-factor. Or two-step is you do a thing and then you do another thing, but those two things are maybe on the same device or in the same area or both under your control, where two-factor is supposed to be two distinctly available kinds of things. So it's a thing you are, like your fingerprint, and a thing you know, like your password. Um, and your password may be stored on your phone, which muddies it, and maybe your fingerprint unlocks the password. So <laughs> it's getting a little confusing. What Apple's doing uh, with El Capitan and iOS 9 is uh, two-step was kind Kind of a kludge. Um, I think they were even using Find My Phone as the way to deliver that code. So it was actually leveraging other software to deliver you a little four-digit code that you'd punch in. Uh, and in the new version, that's uh, going to be rolling out slowly to people with the public beta. Not everyone will have it initially, but you'll be invited when you go uh, doing setup. You'll be able to see it. And I'm not sure if they're going to tell people otherwise that it's available. It's going to be a six-digit code instead of four. So maybe there was they discovered some potential weaknesses with having too few codes. Um, the possibility of guessing, but it's also going to be more deeply integrated. So um, right now, everything that Apple uses, uh, all their sites like developer sites and iTunes Connect, they don't all include two-factor authentication. So I assume part of this is going to be wherever you log in with an Apple ID, you're, uh, that's protected where you've enabled two-factor, you're going to use it. Uh, I don't know, how did you guys react to the fact that there's no recovery key? That used to be kind of your, your way out if you lost your password, lost access devices, the two devices, you have a recovery key that you'd have to uh, keep handy and punch in to recover access. That's gone. Does that freak you out? Because now we have to rely on Apple to uh, let us back into our accounts? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, it kind of depends on the actual process, which I haven't seen a really clear explanation of like, okay, so what happens if I really do lose it? Um, and they say, oh, you just call and we'll, like, we, we have steps and we, we have a process and we'll walk you through it. And it's just like, okay, well, that's, that's not super um, comforting. But I think that there, these changes will have the overall effect of just increasing the amount of people using it because two-factor was kind of buried. And, I mean, it just sort of sounds more intimidating. I mean, not for, you know, again, like power users like us, but if, you know, the sound of it, it sounds like two-factor authentication. Oh, my gosh. But if you're logging in and they say, okay, hey, your phone's like right over there. I can tell it's right there. I'm going to send a code to it that you can enter. How about that? I mean, that just seems more reasonable, you know, like, oh, sure. Why wouldn't I do that? That's fine. And then, boom, like now you're using two-factor. So it's kind of like a way to kind of ease people into it. But, yeah, they need to be a lot more clear as to like what actually happens if you don't have any of your stuff and you still forget your your password. Like we have a device here that I wanted to put iOS 9 on and I can't because it's logged into an iCloud account of someone who doesn't work here anymore and he doesn't even have that iCloud account anymore because oh it was gosh. tied to his Macworld.com email address. Is it my, it's not is yours. It my account? It's not oh, yours. Okay. It's someone else who I've been bothering over and over to try to get it <laughs> fixed and he's been playing along but I should probably just leave him alone and decide that this is going to be on iOS 8 forever. It literally can't be updated, right? Because you can't, if you don't have access to the iCloud account, you can't reset I was able account. to update it. It actually had iOS 7 oh, on it. Funny. So I wanted to put iOS 9 on it. I was able to update it to iOS 8, 
And now that now it's just going to be like so I put iOS That's 9 hilarious. on my on my carry phone and now this iOS 8 one is just kind of like so I have a side by side thing. But I was going to try to put iOS 9 on this phone and leave my phone on iOS 8. Well, so, see, that's, I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons they're getting rid of recovery key is, you know, it's also as daunting. It's like at this stage in the process, we're giving you a 14 character code that you need to write down. And if you lose it, then your account could be locked out forever, mm -hmm. you know, but the flip side was it was in your control. Apple ostensibly wouldn't unlock the account or couldn't. It was never clear whether they couldn't or wouldn't. Some, I had somebody who was a quasi insider tell me that Apple couldn't unlock accounts without the recovery key, that they literally had to have the key to punch in. But then I'd heard stories from people who managed to talk their way through getting more heavily verified, providing information, faxing stuff, and eventually having the account unlocked. So I'm not sure if it was couldn't or wouldn't, but this way you're going to be dealing with people. Uh, if you, you'd have to, you'd have to have your account locked. So you don't have to lose your password, but um, let's say someone tries to hack into your account. They enter the wrong password a bunch of times. Apple will sometimes lock your account out and then you would have to apply for reaccess, which is a pain. Uh, or if you lost every device, you would still ostensibly have the phone number and you could get the phone number moved to another SIM mm -hmm. on another device and call. That's can be tricky. So you could wind up in a situation where, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe if you're a different country and you left your phone behind, you could have issues. Um, but then Apple will only call you at phone numbers that phone numbers that are registered to the Apple ID in question. So it doesn't have to be one that's a trusted phone, but it has to be registered to your Apple ID, and you can have multiple numbers registered. So, so get a Google Voice number and register that to your Apple account. Exactly. If it'll let you, I've had times where it won't. Uh, sometimes it won't. I, I should note the new uh, the new system will let you use a trusted phone uh, voice phones as well as a text accepting phones uh, where you could not before. It had to take an SMS, and now it says it will either send you a text message or it will read you the numbers aloud. So that right. that makes it more flexible too. Yeah. Use a home line with it. Um, one of the uh, yeah one of the interesting aspects is uh, that. Uh, the previous system or the current system in use, it's two-step, but it actually is, uh, you have to go through three steps to use it. The new version, you'll, uh, you'll log in, you'll enter your username and password, and then it will pop up the code on every device you have automatically, which is part of the new integration. Before, I think it had to send it to a specific device. Now, everything you have that's logged in will ha show the code. So you don't have to do a separate step of saying, send it to this device, unless you want it sent through SMS to a phone, in which case there's an option in that second step. But I think that'll make it friendlier as well, is that you don't have to, uh, you just log in and it's like, oh, there's the code, it's on my phone, it's on my iPad, it's on my computer. My it's husband's this... gonna see a lot of random four digit codes <laughs> on his phone every time I log in somewhere else. Cause yeah, I've got my, he's got my iCloud account on his phone so I can use, find my iPhone with it. I assume it's also going to do automatic dismissal, which I've seen other Apple apps do, where the dialogue will go away. Like once you, sort of like an iMessage, once you've entered the code, it can dismiss the dialogue remotely wherever it appears. So you don't have an OK on screen everywhere, too. Nice. Um, well, that's two step. There's uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about because uh, uh, related to El Capitan, then we could talk a little bit about iOS 9. I think uh, system integrity protection is this new feature um, that was talked about. Uh, it's also, I think it's rootless, uh, rootless system the other term for it um that's part of el capitan and uh um 
it gets a little obscure. So I've been still looking into some of the details because it was talked about a bit at WWDC in the developer sessions. A few people wrote about it, but we haven't seen before the public beta exactly what the impact would be. And two pieces of software I use regularly are like, okay, well, this is going to be different. <laughs> so super duper and default folder from uh, St. Cloud, uh, St. Clair software, rather. Uh, I use both of those all the time. Super duper runs every night on my office Mac to do a clone and default folder I just use constantly. So I've installed El Capitan on my laptop, uh, figuring it would be less used. Um, and default folder, uh, St. Clair says they're going to have to rewrite their um, application significantly because um, this new feature is designed to lock down system files to prevent them from being written to at all. You can't modify certain folders and areas uh, so that it makes OS X less susceptible to malware that needs to overwrite things. Um, and so it's a it's probably a good thing on balance, but it's going to mean a lot of changes for utilities. SuperDuper has the issue that it can read certain files, but it can't write them. And so there'll be this funny problem where you'll be able to do a backup that's a clone, but when you restore it, it will have to disable the protection that's preventing it from doing some of this. <laughs> it's like okay, so we're gonna there's gonna be a little shakeout from that. I don't know if you guys seen anything. Uh, I've saw two of these things right away. But have you had any other applications or software you use uh, stop working or, or alert you that there's gonna be uh, changes ahead? Not in El Capitan just yet. A couple of my apps aren't really working in iOS nine, but yeah, I hadn't heard about that until you brought it up. I'm wondering if there's going to be some cases in which um, software, uh, non-Mac App Store software, does something funny because it was easier and it writes to some place or accesses something. And, you know, we'd already seen how OS X would prompt you and say, hey, this app wants access to your photos, uh, wants access to your address book, and, or, you know, you have to give it approval to uh, use this folder. And some of that's uh, iCloud and uh, App Store related, um, but this is a little bit more of an extension of that. So I, OS X is not locked down. You can still run any software you want to, but it's going to be more restrictive about what you can do with system level stuff, including modifying system level behavior. We will follow that as it comes. Um, iOS 9, I have not installed iOS 9 now, so I have nothing to say. <laughs> but, the, but the public beta is out. And uh, I wonder, is there much there? It didn't seem like there's much there. Now that you have it installed, Susie, is there, uh, are you going like, hey, this is great? Or uh, you don't, or, I mean, uh, some of the features only work on what the iPad uh, Air 2 and so forth? Yeah, the yeah. multitasking iPad features, um, there's, there's, Three, there's kind of four. Um, the the big one, the split view, where you have two live apps running side by side at the same time, um, that's called split view, and that's iPad Air 2 only. Um, so we have a hands-on up with that that Oscar wrote, and that's really cool because you've got two going on at the same time, so you can be doing like web research on your next vacation and while you know taking notes in the notes app of all the you know things you want to do. So so that's really cool. Then there's the the slide out thing, which is so you have your app that you're looking at full screen, your main app, and then you just pull out from the side and you can have another app kind of running in the sidebar. They don't run at the same time. So it's sort of like if you want to tweet a link or something, you can you can copy the link in Safari and then pull Twitter out like in a sidebar. And it's a little like a sharing sheet as opposed to multitasking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have an app just in this little sidebar that you slide in and out, but they don't they don't do stuff at the same time. Like you kind of pause the main app while you slide the second one out. And then there's um, picture in picture, so you can take a video that's playing in Safari or in FaceTime. 
um, and then hopefully other apps soon. And then you can have that video stay playing while you're using something else. So the video just kind of floats there. So you can be watching something on YouTube while you write an email. And I'm looking at the system requirements. So it's iPad for, for uh, slide over and picture in picture. It's iPad Air, iPad Air 2, iPad Mini 2, or iPad Mini 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it doesn't make, none of these features make sense on an iPhone because the screen isn't big enough. I mean, maybe picture in right. picture would be pretty weird. It'd be postage stampy. Yeah, size. you wouldn't so, want to do that on an iPhone. No. So, but, so these are all the, so the, the split view requires the very latest uh, full-size iPad, but the other, uh, uh, slide over and picture and picture. Those are the last two generations of both. So it incorporates a lot of iPads. Yeah, and then the 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 QuickType thing is that the so there's the QuickType keyboard, which was Apple's new keyboard in iOS eight, and it has little suggestions. That's going to have more buttons on it, so yeah. you'll get like copy and paste and things. And then developers can put buttons on there. So if you're using QuickType. In you know like a Twitter app, they could have a little hashtag shortcut key on it or something. So developers can put their own sh- shortcut keys on there, and those will change depending on the app you're using. And then you can use the keyboard kind of as a trackpad for selecting text. If you put two fingers down, it says, "Oh, now you're you're selecting. You're not typing." And you can select text and stuff like using a trackpad like you would on your Mac. So that's kind of cool. Um, but but just around iOS 9, I'm seeing a lot of cool things. I've been using it on my phone, so I haven't even tried the, the iPad things yet. We had Oscar write those up. Um, but just on the phone, there's so many cool things. Like I love the new Spotlight um, search screen. When you go over there, like it didn't do anything at first. It kind of had to learn my patterns a little bit. But now it suggests apps and contacts for uh, apps and contacts for you and it's supposed to be kind of uh, contextually aware so if it's like commute time it might suggest to me my podcast app and my transit app that I use to see when the bus is coming um, but then when I'm at work it's going to suggest you know hip chat and safari and the apps that I tend to use while I'm here um, at the end of the day, it'll suggest, you know, the, the apps that I tend to use at home. It'll suggest Instagram and Apple Music. So that's really kind of neat. Um, I, I would love to have some kind of, you know, more um, more robust thing where the, like the apps on my home screen can change depending on where I am. Like, so it's kind of like a baby step in that direction. It's still kind of over on this this search screen that you might not visit all the time but it's it's just like having a day phone and a night phone <laughs> your day phone and your night phone <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh, no longer do you need one yeah well i mean that was such a great model for everyone so yeah now we're doing that yeah. um but there's like tiny little things so i get a notification now and i tap that notification i go into the app there's a little back button up at the top of the screen and it'll say so like if i'm in tweetbot and i get a notification to like messages and I'll go to messages. I can tap around inside messages, but there's a little thing up at the uh, upper left that says back to Tweetbot. And no matter Holy like how cow. far I go into messages, it's just one tap to go back to Tweetbot exactly where I was. I didn't remember them mentioning that. They might have, but I didn't remember it. But it's that's that's really that's, big. Yeah. That's- Breadcrumbs are so important, and Apple is often resistant to them. Like it makes its signs of like how you go back obscure, or it removes them, and you have to. They're like, no, no, just double tap the home button, and then find the other app you're in. And yeah, but people and don't know about it. that. And this is just way more like obvious. 
That's good. Uh, I saw that iCloud Drive is now an app, which I'd missed, I think, if when that was originally announced. And um, They left it out <clears> of the keynote. It wasn't, oh, they did. It okay. wasn't exciting so, enough to make the keynote. Well, <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, that was the whole thing. It's, we're at iOS 9. It's like, oh, okay, here's your file system. Not exactly, but, you know, here you can look at files that you have in your document folders. All right, fine. Yeah. Yeah. You so kids the, and your file system. The cloud drive just shows you. So you know how you there's a million apps that'll let you create like a text file or something. And but with iCloud storage, before you could only find iCloud documents you'd saved in iCloud were only accessible inside the app that created them. Mm-hmm. At least on iOS, um, there is an iCloud Drive folder on your Mac. So on iOS, you had to remember, like, okay, did I make this text file in Byword or did I make it in Nebulous Notes? And you know, you had to kind of like remember. So if you're you only using you know one file, one app to make your text files, which I'm sure a lot of people are, it's not that big of a deal. But this is like you can just go to one app and see all the files that you have in iCloud. Maybe you say, hey, I'm not even using that app anymore, and I can delete all these files from iCloud um, but it's just kind of a way to to find your iCloud files and then when you tap them they can open in the app that created them I think you can also send them to other apps so you could say okay I'm done using this other notes app I'm gonna open all these files in byword and save them there again and then and then I can just delete these other app I've never been entirely unclear of when iOS is duplicating files and when it's like moving them I felt like it's yeah, usually duplicating them. Uh, like you'll say, oh, I got this PDF. I want to let's open it in Goodreader. And when you do open in, I think it's copying it into a yep. separate storage area. And I've wondered, yeah, so iCloud Drive doesn't really help with that problem. It just exposes what you've got. But if you want to take file A and manipulate it in app B, you're, it's still copying it over to app B's storage. Well, it, it helps if, you, if all the apps use iCloud Drive. Because then you can use the file, you open the file on iCloud Drive and you do something with it. And then you open the other app and you open the file on iCloud Drive and do something with it. And that's the same file. It is. But good. If, okay. But if you're sending from one to another, yeah, you're, you're, you know, if those apps don't use iCloud Drive, they're, they're getting a copy of the file and then working on that copy. Which is the old way. That's how it's been all along. The, the hope is that, you, you know, whether it's iCloud Drive or Dropbox or something like that, that these apps, um, you know, start to focus on that for storage instead of this invisible, you know, make copies handoff system that we that sort of grew up around iOS because there were no other options. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I, I still think that Apple was right to try to pursue a direction in which we didn't have to deal with a file system. And an iCloud Drive isn't a file system, right? It's a folder with stuff in it. We're not like, oh, let's go to the Ver folder and see what's in the logs. Like, right. no, no, we're still, we're looking at just a subset that's just useful stuff and it's just documents. So that's, I think it's, I mean, so many people, I don't know, whenever an open dialogue, I think is terrifying to people on OS X. And, um, and so not having that is good, but uh, this seems like a decent compromise. Between them, uh, the uh, yeah, I've I've often thought that uh, there's still room for Apple to I don't know. It's like the help compact things. Like the Messages app, this is kind of an ongoing dilemma. People will look at their Messages app storage and be like, "Why is 1.9 gigabytes on my iPhone uh, Messages data?" You know, and you look back and you're like, "Did it store? It stored everything." And I don't know. I'll be curious if iOS nine finally solves that. But there was no good way to delete certain kinds of storage that you were duplicating. If I took a big file in Dropbox and uh, you know I had a 500 meg file, an audio file, and opened it in a player or did something like that, it makes a copy. And if I had tapped favorite in Dropbox, it stores it locally as well. So there's still issues with even with 64 gigabyte phones uh, about what um, is stored in the device that you don't need. 
And I don't know if iOS 9 will help with that at all. I hope so. I guess, because uh, iMessage, I think you have to restore your phone to get around that, in fact. Yeah, um, the stuff that's in iMessage is pretty trapped in there. Like, you can save things one at a time. And in iOS 8, they started showing you, like, if you click details next yes. to an account or next to a contact, it'll show you all the attachments that you sent each other. But, but there you can't isn't, delete it. Yeah, there isn't, like, one easy, quick way to say, okay, like, archive these all somewhere, like, send these all to my Mac and delete them from my phone, send them all to iCloud and delete them from my phone. So, yeah, when I tell people, like, make sure your phone's backed up and you think, oh, yeah, I back up all my, my photos in, in a Dropbox and, or Google Photos or something, it happens automatically. You're like, no, not all of them, <laughs> just the ones you take and that are in your <laughs> Photos app. The, all the, like, you probably have hundreds of photos in your iMessage app that you've forgotten all about. And if they all got deleted tomorrow, you would probably be sad. I think that brings us to the end of another podcast. And folks, listeners, if you have questions about El Capitan or iOS 9 public beta that we can answer, you can email us at podcast at macworld.com or leave your questions on macworld.com on this podcast item or find us on Twitter, which you can as well. Uh, and, and thank you, Jason Snell, the proprietor of Six Colors, columnist of the More Colors column here. Thanks for being on the podcast. It's always good to be on the Macworld Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Susie, great to talk to you again. And we'll talk to you again next week. Can't wait. And I've been Glenn Fleischman. I have been and remain Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. Our sponsors this week have been Zoom and Red Hat. And thank you to sponsoring this show. This has been episode 465 of the Macworld Podcast for July 15th, 2015. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you again next week.